I love the pub business. If you enjoy what you're doing, it's much easier to uh, get good at it. I became a very good barman. I think I became a good manager and I became a good publican. Much easier when, when you love it. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland. If you're looking for the father of the craft beer revival in Ireland, well then we've got your man. This is the Architects of Business, Joe's weekly series of interviews with leading entrepreneurs in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. I'm Ty Genwright and today I'll be speaking with Liam Lahart, who put a new spin on the pint of plain at the Porterhouse Brewing Company. Having first opened in Bray nearly 30 years ago, the Porterhouse is now pulling pints in Dublin, London and New York. I sold my house and moved my wife and son over the bar in Bray. And in the first year, we, we were losing a grand a week. That was a bit of pressure. It is a family business. Liam set up shop with his cousin Oliver Hughes in the 80s, but he's had to learn to live without him after his sudden death in 2016. He'd always have a, a group of guys around him because lots of people wanted to come in and, and have a chat with him. And so a lot of the fun has gone out of it. Together, they pioneered a beer revolution, persuading the public to try something new and taking on the big breweries. When you think about how silly the bigger breweries were, they would be cutting our lines, telling a bar owner, listen, I'll give you two free kegs there, just get rid of those guys. And a lot of bar owners would take us in just to be kicked out again. Liam, thanks very much for uh, for talking to us. It strikes me you were doing this whole craft beer thing uh, before it really got cool. Is that right? Um, yes, that would be true. Uh, it depends on how far back I go. Um, I suppose... Um, we first came across, um, which were described in Ireland, these funny beers, uh, in when I was living in London and uh, my cousin and, and uh, recently departed, Oliver, um, he was in college in St. Albans. And um, this was in, I'm going back to 79, 80, uh, that long ago, when uh, the campaign for real ale had started up in London or in England and um, there was a guy David Bruce who had um, the Firkin pubs and um, we used to on a Saturday afternoon Oliver would come in from St Albans we'd toddle on down to the maybe the Camden Market um, do a bit of shopping for bootleg records and uh, adjourn to one of the Firkin pubs to have a, a pint of Dog Bolter which was um, 7% ale and we'd be talking about imagine a beer seven percent, and we had we had three pints of it. Whereas in these days now, sure, these the the bearded folk sipping the Lagunitas and the uh, the hipster crew, the, the hipster crew are so they're only saying only seven percent. <laughs> they want more. They want more. Yeah. So when you were heading into those pubs in Kilburn back in the day with uh, with Oliver. And and seeing their kind of whimsical brand names and their their cheeky marketing, were you thinking I can make this work in Ireland? Yes, the bars were quirky bars, benches and sawdust on the floor. Uh, you know, and, and they put certainly put ideas into our head. And what were I mean? What were those ideas that you know this is the answer to all our dreams? And well, I suppose the, the f- 
when we eventually got together and bought a bar, our first bar was in Bray. And uh, that was in 89. Um, when And at the time I had been, um, just before that, I was assistant manager in Davy Burns, which was white shirt, bow tie. Um, before that, I had been in, um, I don't know who's in Marion Row, which was a bit of a quirky bar, sawdust on the floor. And so when we opened the bar in Bray, um, which was the Wavecrest at the time when we turned it into the, the, the first porterhouse, it was polo shorts, jeans, um, loud music, and a lot of different types of beers. This is Never. 1990, where there was only Heineken, Carlsberg, Budweiser, Smithwick's, a little bit of that in Guinness. So we actually um, brought in actually the first vice beer in from Germany called Herrenbrau. And we were, we were getting supplies from the UK of Belgian beers, uh, Duvel, Chimay, uh, La Trappe. Now, there was guys coming in saying, oh, that's a great bar down there. You see all the beers they have. Can I have a pint of Guinness, please? But And we also, when we did the job on it, we put a lot of beer cabinets in. But we couldn't get access to different beers. So uh, Oliver came up with an idea that um, if um, when you go on your holidays, bring us back a bottle of beer that uh, we don't have and we'll give you two pints for it. I said, Jesus, do we have to give two pints? Can we not just give one? No, no, we give two pints. So that became, uh, and you know, and when you when you look back at it, um, telling Oliver that was a fantastic idea, was that it got people interested in different beers. It also meant when, you know, they've brought this bottle of beer home, so they're going out at night, oh, we better drop down to the porterhouse and we get her a couple of free beers on this. And then it was our job to hold on to them after that. So um, it, it worked well. And we, we actually did that, carried that on for quite a lot of years, even when we opened the, the bar in, 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 in Parliament Street in Temple Bar in '96. We continued that on because if you, um, you're possibly familiar with that bar, if you look at around at all the cabinets that are around the walls there, they all came from from customers bringing them in. Um, and we just dust them every so often. But pretty much those bottles that came in in 96, 97 filled the, the cabinets. That's a huge leap though, really, isn't it? I mean, you opened the place in Bray because that's where you could afford and then what was it, uh, six or seven years later, yeah. you go into Temple Bar and that's prime city centre property. I mean, that must have been a huge financial leap, was it? Well, and it was a formula that we continued. Basically, we got we got the bar in Bray at a reasonable price. We upped the turnover. Um, the bank were happy with us in that they were more into loan, loan to value then um, so that the property went up in value because the turnover went up and we were lowly, low leveraged. So they loaned us more money to put a deposit on. Um, now, and bearing in mind, as I'm reminding you, that it was Parliament Street, which was not a very good street, but it was close to Temple Bar. We got that as a good price as well. The way you talk about it, though, is it's as if the bank is the only one taking a risk. I mean, you were taking a risk as well. We're taking a huge risk. I sold my house and moved my wife and son over the bar in Bray. And in the first year, we we were losing a grand a week. That was a bit of pressure. And I was only um, 29, 30 years of age then. It's an incredible age to be 
buying and opening a pub in yeah. the centre of Dublin. The reason we were able to put a brew pub into um, that was uh, into Temple Bar was because we it was a derelict site and a small bar there. Um, but but the time was just the the time the timing was good. Parliament Street. Actually, I remember that year we opened. Uh, Ireland got the EU presidency, and City Hall was um, where a lot of it was happening. So there was a lot of journalists, uh, a lot of uh, EU people coming over. Eurocrats. Yes, and Parliament Street became a great street, and people were into change. And yeah, timing was good. But bearing in mind that there was a drought of beers in Dublin at that stage even in 96 there was no, we were we were well ahead of our times so when you look around and see all these other uh, craft beer bars and craft breweries do you, do you kind of feel validated that yeah I was right that's this is what people want well yes um do you feel proud of it do yes it's in but in ways it's made our life harder in that we were maybe little oasis in the middle of a desert uh, and um, people were coming to seek us out. <laughs> now everybody's out. And in some ways, um, we have to reinvent ourselves that we're um, we're not the old boys, that we're still um, making new, different beers uh, as well. well who, who are your competitors these days? I mean, is it the, the big old brewers with their big old brands or is it this whole new army of uh, niche brands? Well, obviously, it's the. I mean, there's a lot of you know very good, inventive, you know, small breweries out there, very dedicated guys with lots of great ideas, and um, they're you know they're doing a fantastic job. But also that that is competition because they're brewing great beers and they're brewing different beers, and they're also trendy. But you also have the the bigger brewer guys who have been around a long time who are finding it, um, they're fighting very hard to get the taps on the counter. And they would be, you know, it's in some ways great time to be a, a public in, in, um, in a good location because you have the bigger brands who are, you know, helping you along to uh, uh, incentivizing you to get taps on the counter. So what kind, so of, incentives they, what kind of incentives are we talking about? I was. I'd be wearing a couple of hats here. I'm. Uh, I have been a publican for a long time, and um, as well as as a brewer as well. I'm sure you can uh, work it out yourself how a publican can be persuaded to have X amount of taps as opposed to your competitor. Um, so are you suggesting that when I go into a pub and I see the range of beers on tap, that's been influenced by a brewery coming in and and handing over some some cash or some stock. Stock, I presume. I can I can walk into a bar and I can tell um, who's who's bought this uh, this bar. This bar. It's a decision. You know, if you make that decision and you're and you're bought out by certain breweries, I think the customers will see that as well, um, and that they are looking for uh, different beers, different styles, pretty much in the same way. Um, Say 10 years ago, and we'd be very proud of, we also have Porthouse Central down on Nassau Street. If you walked in there six, seven years ago and looked, we'd have maybe 15 taps on the counter. 10, 12 of them would have been 
from our brewery. If you we we now have at least four, five, six guest beers in, and you know, depending on on, on what question you ask me, is that because um, I want to help all these other small breweries? Of course, it is. Uh, um, I could also say that. Yeah, if we could get away with only having two, we probably would because we want to sell more of our own beer. But in reality, um, it's there's no point in saying, well, ninety percent of the beer that goes through uh, your bar is your own. When and you, but what we want is we want to have a good, successful all-round bar where we have a good diverse diversion of, of of customers. I mean, it's great for people you know like you who are the upstarts and who are kind of shaking up the status quo. How do you think that the big brewers have adapted to people's changing tastes? Because we, we know they're kind of bringing out brands that are look like craft beers and they're yeah. buying up craft breweries. Yeah, I suppose, you know, the big breweries trying to brew beers that are different because of the sheer scale of them, it can be quite difficult. And so it's the easiest thing for them to do is... um is buy up smaller breweries, and you know the the you read about it in the paper they've bought it, but there is no more nothing else said about it. They don't want to be associated with um with a smaller brewery because um what happens is that the I mean the customer base when they find out and, and this is always a, a subject for debate just because you buy out a a, a brewery a big is bought out by a big brewer. And they're still producing the same beer. You know, in a way, the beer is still the same beer. It's still a good craft beer. It's no harm done. But it does leave a bad taste in the mouth uh, because it's owned by one of the bigger breweries. And they it loses its appeal from the mainstream um, beer drinker. The only thing about it is they get a lot more distribution by being part of a bigger brewery. So the swings and roundabouts there. Do you think that is that always what happens? The big brewer buys a little brewer and it's hands off. We want you to keep on making your craft stuff and we want you, you to appear independent. Mm. Or have you seen it where big brewers go in and start saying, oh, well, you know, you could cut this corner here and make this a bit more efficient? And Well, needless to say that they're not going to tell me. But, for you know, I, I have seen a lot of it in the US where they do try and, and stand back and uh, and make them independent. What they probably do is they give them um, more brewing capacity by because they have money behind them. So there would be they're not going to buy a small brewery and leave, leave it a small brewery. They want to keep the the ethos the same and they want to give the same impression to the the, the you know the customer base out there. Um, that's the way it is. That's life. And um, if because the the bigger breweries are losing market share in the US in the UK, Ireland, and it's happening across Europe now where um, small, you know, for instance, Spain, Italy, Germany, where, you know, every small area might have the, a brewery, but there would be one beer or two beers. That's not good enough now. They need to have more taps on the counter. So, I mean, undoubtedly, so much has changed over the last 30 years or so. Um but just remind me, what was it like when you were starting up and trying to muscle your way into into pubs? I mean, were you were you bullied at any point by the big players? Well, yes. I in, in when we had Hearty's Brewery and uh, in 
that was in the mid 80s and you know when you think about how silly the 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 bigger breweries were um they would be cutting our lines the our beer lines they'd be telling a bar owner listen I'll give you two free kegs there just get rid of those guys and a lot of bar owners would take us in just to be kicked out again to get a couple of free kegs for the bigger brewery are you serious they were just kind of baiting you yeah and this was just before um, your um, Spirinoff Ice Bacardi Breezers various sweet insiders were 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 coming on stream because the beer industry had got so boring and whereas and I'm sure they're looking back now they should have let guys like you know Hartie's Brewery Dempsey's Brewery they should have let us keep the thing interesting by having our beers on the counter we were never going to be a threat um, of uh, because there was only so much we could produce we, we sh- they should have let us go and make it interesting rather than um, people were got fed up of going to the bars and then that's where as I said your alcohol pops came in and which were you know lasted a while but the, and the beer guys lost their um, lost their keggage because it had got boring but they just could not see that it was very short sighted of them So how did you fight back to those kind of bully boy tactics Well in ways they put it out as business in, in Hearties um, well, that was one part of it. We were quite young ourselves at the time. We were only in our, Seth and Oliver, the same age. We were in our um, mid to late 20s. Um, we're giving, um, as I said, a lot of bar owners were getting our beer in just f- to kick us out again. Just to cut you off. Other people were taking taking 30 days credit and then not paying us. Um, we were a bit young to be able to to, to uh, see all of that, but uh, it was a great learning curve for later on in life. You know, we lasted a couple of years. There was we learned a lot there. You know, giving credit is not a good, a good idea unless you know who you're giving it to. Remind me of you know thirty years in the pub trade, anti-social hours. I mean, do you work until closing time much still, or well, did you back then? Well, I, I did up to well up to uh, before Oliver passed away. I was pretty much very much hands on in, in in the bars, um, and you know because we said we had opened two bars in New York, so I went over you know uh, over there a lot. But certainly, yes, and I'd be in Temple Bar, I'd be in Nassau Street, I'd be in Bray, three late nights a week, um, tough going, and especially um, you know when the kids were young. The way it used to work was that you know you you'd set up in the morning, you do you cover lunch, and by two thirty you're getting out there collecting the kids from school, and you take the afternoon off, and you certainly try and take one or two days a week off as well, but it's really tough going. And the late nights, and I I thought you know I've done late nights probably for thirty years, and in the last year year and a half where I'm now pretty much stuck in the office. Uh, total change of lifestyle. Alarm clock set for 20 past seven. You know, in, in the office before nine. Um, you know, by 11.30, you know, time for me to hit the bed. Because, you know, I'm tired. You know, 10 years ago, I was only... Um, I'd often have a... Get home in the afternoon, evening, hit the bed for an hour, up and out again. Uh, but you know something? Uh I probably find I have a lot more energy now. I feel a lot better. And this is only a year and a half doing what 
normal people do. I mean, do you miss, though, the, the connection to the business that the late nights must give you? I mean, yes. were, you, were you doing it because you were passionate or did I, you, were you doing it because you had to? Does every publican have to work late? I love the pub business, really. Um, do you know something, And I, which I say to anybody who wants to listen to me now and, uh, and my kids who probably don't, that uh, if, if, you, if you enjoy what you're doing, it's much easier to uh, get good at it. And I have to say, I, I became a very good barman I think I became a good manager and I became a good publican. Much easier when when you love it. Um, but th- there's great passion out there now. You, you, there's people coming into the pub business in Dublin who probably maybe change careers, but they're coming in with ideas. And it's not a, about how many beers you can serve at the one time, how many plates you can carry. It's pretty important, isn't it? Yeah. Does that, you, you can employ good guys to do that. Yeah. It, you need it's running a good bar is about passion, about entertaining people, getting them getting them in the door and holding on to them and sending them home happy. Uh, I you know we we have a great bar in 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 Covent Garden in in um in London. We have it sixteen seventeen years. Um. It's probably one of the biggest turnover bars in London. The, and one of the main reasons it becomes successful, apart from good location, good style, you know, we did a nice job on it. Um, but, it, and, you know, the bars in, 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 in London are much better now than they were 15 years ago. The one thing that let them down, they did most things right. Service was kind of okay, not great. But the one thing... It used to amaze me how how uh, um, the attitude was. As soon as the bar is, you know, 11 o'clock closing, you stop serving at 11, at two minutes past 11, asking you to leave. At five minutes past 11, grabbing the drinks for you. So I'm saying, you know, you've just spent quite a lot of money in, in here. You've been here a couple of hours. And the last thing you remember is being abused by a barman or a door staff leaving the premises. Not a very good idea. Uh, and it took us ages to, um, you know, I, I was spending a reasonable amount of time in London at the time, but we had the bars going in Dublin as well. And, and I, you know, I was sitting at the bar just watching things. And they, you know, you know, they did listen to us a bit about, you know, I'm talking about door staff, bartenders, uh, but they couldn't help just, right, time, gentlemen, please, out you go. So we had to put a rule in. We put CCTV in and I said, I'm going to have somebody watching those cameras every evening. If after you, if within 20 minutes, anybody goes near a customer after being served, they're gone. And it's up to you what time you stop serving it. Um, I'm not in telling you to serve late, uh, but within 20 minutes, you don't go near a customer. And one of the managers standing at the door saying good night thank you see you again and and the customers were were amazed as well and you know we still do that today and people say oh great fantastic now that's not very difficult no my soul you may think that that is real common sense but a lot of people don't get it you've been talking a lot about you know we and us um Obviously, the business was started by yourself and and Oliver. I mean, are you, are you still talking about Oliver when you refer to to we and us there? Yeah, I suppose. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I would always um, when I hear guys saying "I," 
uh, I said, what's this Ibis? This is we, it's like we are a family. I mean, the porterhouse, the, whether it's Dingle, the distillery, the bar, the brewery, uh, we have the, the restaurants as well. The, you know, myself and Oliver were cousins, his, his, uh, his son now, Ellie, Elliot and, and, and Holly work with it. Uh, Elliot's my godson. Um, I have two sons who, you know, they're somewhere in college, but they're in and out of the business. But it is a family business. And my business partners in, in the various bars I've worked with for years and consider them family. We, uh, when there's family events, we all meet up. Um, yes, and it's all about we. Is it important that it was a family business? Would it have survived in the same way or succeeded in the same way otherwise? Um, well, that's probably a good question. And in general, I would say yes, it would. But no, 2011, 12 were difficult times. Um, when the bottom fell out of the market, um, being a bit overborrowed, um, the customer base gone. Uh, when you're under a lot of pressure, it really helps that it's family and our people that you have worked with for a long time and trust that, um, you know, when the shit hit the fan, as it did in those days, you needed good guys around you because, um, and you know, it's, it's when things are not good and business is not good and you're trying to pay the wages and you're trying to meet the bank commitments, you do need to have um, family and friends around you. Because it's uh, it gets tough out there. They were horrible years, um, and um, thankfully we're through those. Oliver was your cousin, but it, it sounds like you had a bit more of a a closer relationship than most cousins. It sounds like you were more brotherly. Well, almost. yeah. Well, he was. Yes, we were like we we fought like brothers anyway. Um, yeah, we'd been in, in business together for a, a long, long time. Um, even when Oliver grew up in. Um, most part in, in, in England, but his dad was a judge in the colonial service. But from the age of four, five, six, he used to come down to uh, a famous place I'm from, Gortnehu. Uh, myself and Shane Long are the uh, two famous people from Gortnehu. <laughs> um, uh, so um, Oliver used to come down with on the farm then, and then we used to stay with our aunties in, in Drumcondra as well so we used to spend all our summers together from the age of four or five yeah then then as I said got into business together Were you as close back then as you ended up being? Yeah yeah we we're, were the same age um, I think Oliver was two months younger than me um, but yeah we would be very well very close as in friends and uh, and brothers but totally different in um, in way of doing things um, as uh, all of you to say he'll get he'll provide the right environment to get the customers in and and I'll serve them and make sure I take the money from them and it goes into the till um i you know even when Oliver was still working as a barrister and he'd be come out to bray on 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 the um, on, on a Saturday and Sunday. And for the first twenty minutes, pointing out everything that's wrong with the place, that bulb is gone. That, um, uh, you know, why don't you take the tea towel down off that bottle of vodka there? And because um, I was doing things in, uh, well, I would be doing practical things that um, 
a barman, the publican would do, and he would say, look at things totally from a customer's viewpoint. Was he more the showman? Oh, most definitely a showman. Uh, always the showman, yes. He was... Because um, uh, uh, one of the things he was very proud of, uh, you know, trained as a barrister, but really not... Uh, I don't think he ever... His dad was a judge, but he never had his heart in it. Barristers are showmen. Strikes well, me well, it's actually quite yes, a good mix. Well, you're quite correct. But, and that did his... I mean, he was well able to talk and that did help. Uh, but one of his first claim to fame was when we um, when we opened the bar in, in, in Temple Bar, the brew pub, and we had... We named two of the beers Wiser Buddy and Probably, which were... Um, the logos on them were uh, quite close to Budweiser and Carlsberg. Never. I don't yeah. believe you. <laughs> and so uh, within a couple of weeks, the letter came in to stop what we were doing. So, and to take away all the the various the labels we had. We had uh, the whole place. Well, of the two of their eight beers, there was a lot of... Uh, beer mats and that would relate to Wiser Buddy and probably so we said we, we need a couple of weeks to get um, to get her all the various displays down and we need to change the names of the beer so they gave us a couple of weeks and then um, Oliver said listen we'll run we need how are we going to get the names in this so we ran um, a radio advertising about to change the names of the beers formerly known as Wiser Buddy and Probably and this was an ad that went on for uh, about 10 days uh, we got a second letter f- uh, from our solicitors then but um, that raised so much publicity we, we got on the Wall Street Journal and I think it was the New York Times uh, actually, we have a nice little story on that in, in both the Porterhouse and Temple Bar and in, in Nassau Street about the beer formerly known as Wiser Buddy because we were 21 years last year and Elliot um, put up this big poster that's um, you can't miss. So go in and have a read of it. It's a great story. Yeah, absolutely. We certainly will. I mean, was that kind of uh, mischievous, mischievous streak? Was that... Um more him or was it his idea I mean oh yes yes sure I would have been um, so you know scared by the solicitor's I, letter I used to be scared about solicitor's letters as you get older um, um, you, you learn to how to deal with them a bit more but uh, that, that no that was that was really interesting um, great time and he used to love telling that story but um, it, we, we still have a um, we did a campaign some years ago about saying we have no marketing budget uh, tell everybody about us you know we, we playing Porter won um, a gold medal and so um, claimed no no we did win a gold medal <laughs> and it was a very prestigious one but the our, our strip line to it was um, as I said we have no marketing budget tell everybody well the best publicity is free isn't it it's kind of like the Ryanair model yeah yes so uh, yeah Oliver was your man for that yeah so, I mean, he died suddenly. Mm-hmm. What was it like when you when you heard? Ah, oh, yeah, I probably don't want to go into that. That's still too emotional. Okay. Yeah. Well, what impact did it have on the running of the business then? Does a lot of the fun has gone out of it? As in, you know, uh, you know, most evenings I, you know, if I'd pop in, I'd know it. When he's finished work at six or seven in the evening, he'd be. He'd be having a beer or two before he head home. 
he'd always have a, a group of guys around him because lots of people wanted to come in and, and have a chat with him and uh, so that end of it has been less fun and we don't have this um, we, we don't seem to be getting the same publicity as uh, as we used to so we have to work a lot harder on that So are you finding you're kind of have kind of do you find you have to almost act a bit more like Oliver used to act up as more of the showman well, uh, when, you know, at various events where I'm asked to speak I'm you know I always say listen um you know, I'm my own man. Like, you know, I got to where I am now. I'm not Oliver and I could never, there's no point in me trying to be, you know, Oliver was a showman. He was a, a great speaker. He didn't need any notes. He just um, spoke off the cuff. Um, there's no point in me trying to be that. Um, now, I'm, um, his son Elliot is shaping up well though. A uh, bit of a chip off the old block. And, um, so we'll be rolling him out now and that's what the, the media want to see is a, is a young guy like him uh, and I'll direct operations in the background so I keep keep all the guys going we have a we have you know we have a few partners in a lot of the businesses um, and we have a lot of staff um, if I can keep all the guys going and um, keep the peace and chair the meetings you know we're doing okay you're poised now to open this. You've already got the the distillery down in in Dingle. You've got a, a brewery project going on in in North Dublin. Is that right? Yeah, we are. are you know, we we moved. Um, we had the the brew pub in in Temple Bar. When we opened our, our bar in London, we, it just wasn't big enough. So we moved what temporarily to a, a site in Ballycoolan in in um, out past Blanchestown, and. We were there fifteen years, so yes, we've we've we have a brand new site now in uh, Glasnevin uh, by Broombridge uh, Lewis Line, as a matter of fact. Um, it's a fantastic premises. Um, it's um, you know we, our brewer is delighted. Whereas we we up to that we had been in a very functional brewery, which was a pretty much a warehouse. But this is a proper brewery with drains, sloping floors. Um, extraction. Um, it's um, very proud of it. We've it, we've just got in there in January. We're just about finding our feet, and um, we'll be making a little bit of noise about it fairly soon. And uh, we're going to have a visitor center there, um, and we'll be we will be producing a lot of interesting beers as well as our main street beers. Well, how much longer do you think you're going to? Keep turning up every day and putting your hand on the on the books and on the pumps. Yeah, well, I suppose I'm, and I I really miss the late night business. And I'm and I'm um, not saying that I would like to go back to be doing, to having to be there at two o'clock in the morning. I miss not being there, and I'm because I'm up at whatever quarter seven half seven in the morning. I really can't be there. I hope to do less hours in the office. And to be able to pop in now and again by surprise um, and just to see how things are, are ticking along. and Because uh, I think I know the business pretty well. Um, and I suppose I want to take the stress out of life. Um, and that there has been a lot of stress. Um, the new brewery has been, um, has been uh, you know, a lot of stress. Second bar in New York has been a lot of stress because it was kind of pretty much all down to me. And, 
but I've, those two things are done now. Distilleries is going very well. Brewery, I have the right guys in place. We have export manager, we have national sales manager, uh, have good partners there, and um, the younger guys are coming up. So um, yeah, I think that the the future is um, should be a little bit more golf, should be more holidays, and um, yeah, but I'll I'll be still hanging around for a while. So do you feel like you've left a real stamp or a mark on the Irish pub trade? Yeah, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I suppose we we certainly did. Uh, I, I have a lot of, um, you know, up to you know, if up to six or seven years ago, if you asked me what it was, I would have said the publican. I probably, I'm, I'm probably more brewery, distillery, publican now. Um, so I have a lot of friends in in in, in with bars around town. Uh, play golf with them every Thursday in uh, the LVA Golf Society, which is really good. Yeah, so yeah, when we're having a uh, yeah, yes, I suppose people would tell me that, and um, yeah, I, I like hearing it as well. So yes, yeah, we're we're proud of what we did. Liam Lahars, thank you very much for talking to us. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. You're listening to the Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Visit eoy.ie to find out more about the programme and this year's finalists. Get in touch. Mail us on the Architects of Business at joe.ie. That's it for the Architects of Business for this week. Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks to our guest, Liam Lahart, our producer, Patrick Hohey, and all of the team here at Joe. The programme is made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Go to their website, eoy.ie, to learn more about the finalists for this year. And don't miss out on future or past editions of this programme by subscribing for free on iTunes, on your favourite Android podcast app or you can watch the architects of business on youtube check out some of joe's other podcasts too including the hard yards on rugby the gaa hour and our movie show the big review ski i'm ty genreich thank you very much for being with us today next week i'll be speaking to the man whose business will keep you awake that's david mckernan of java republic the architects of business on joe in partnership with the ey entrepreneur of the year program telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland.